Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. And the Owls fall to 1-2 and two on the season after dropping a heartbreaking loss to the number 7 ranked Furman Paladins. Good news is, we here at the Owl Chat Podcast are here to talk you through it. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John Finer. And for the second straight week, second straight week, uh, former Owls defensive lineman Nick Parada. Gentlemen, I know the Falcons put us in a better mood a few hours ago, but uh, how are we feeling on this Sunday afternoon? Um, well, as far as the Falcons go, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, but as far as the Owls go, I am feeling a lot better than last week. I'll say that. I'm disappointed, but a different kind of disappointed, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like we were just so close. I feel like we played better. You know, I feel like we have a lot to improve on, but the things that we can improve on are things that are improvable. It's not like, okay, we perhaps don't have this skill set or we need this or we need that. So just too many penalties, things that we need to clean up, and hopefully we can get a win uh, next week against Tennessee Tech. Yeah, and to, to piggyback on John, uh, there was a ton of positives that we talked about as that were concerns from a couple of weeks ago that we saw a lot of improvement. We saw how explosive the offense can be when we get rolling. You know, just a couple of things here and there that we got to clean up that put that allow us to play a full three phase game in all three phases, special teams, offense, and defense. If we can uh, be a little better in a in a couple areas, I think we can play a complete game and and really turn some things around. So I'm, I'm definitely encouraged after this week. Yeah. Definitely agree with both of you guys. Um, I thought that it was our best offensive game by far, considering opponent. Obviously, you know, we put up more points and had more total yards, I guess, against Tusculum. But, you know, Furman's a top 10 FCS team. So overall, I was very encouraged. Um, before we get into the game, um, just quick note before the game, Chance Gamble appealed his targeting ejection from last week against Chattanooga and won his appeal. Uh, John, I know you have some strong thoughts on that. So uh, talk me through that. Okay, so Chance Gamble won his appeal for targeting, which was questionable to begin with. Okay, so does winning the appeal, does that mean that the refs in Chattanooga were incorrect? Because if that is the case and the refs were wrong, that is really sad because they reviewed that to get the call correct at the time. So number one, it either means the refs messed up and disqualified our player from the game when he shouldn't have been. And number two, or number two, the right call was made by the refs and the NCAA knows the rule is, how do I say this, bullshit and needs to be changed. So they just didn't want to make it any any worse because there's no way Gamble could have avoided that hit. So it's either one or the other. And that's kind of how I see it. I see it the same way. I talked about it last week of, you know, the quarterback slid so late. And when the quarterback becomes a ball carrier down the field and you're, you know, tracking the near hip, doing the, all the things that your coach should do as a defender, trying to make a tackle, keeping your head out of it. And then the the quarterback does this unusual thing where he slides. I feel like it's the the late hit penalty was warranted because he was giving himself up, but the, the targeting, you know, Kai asked me last week if I thought, you know, as the couch referee, if I would have stayed with the call, I said, yes, just because, you know, it was, yes, did his, did his helmet make contact, but it was one of those where I don't believe that he was truly leading with the crown of his helmet. So I think it's like you said, John, I think it's the interpretation of the rule. There's so much, subjectivity to it that you you know it gets ruled in many different ways and many by many different officials and you know apparently the NCAA agrees that you know it was it was incorrectly assessed and that ended up hurting us 
Yeah. And who knows, you know, what difference Chance Gamble could have made, you know, by playing, you know, the end of the game last week. I mean, I have no idea. Could could the game have been different? Absolutely. Could it have nothing have changed? Absolutely. So that's again, we'll never know. Yeah, it still sucks to be stuck on a game from, you know, two weeks ago now. Um, <laughs> as we mentioned on the the midweek podcast, John changed his stance on the uh, Jonathan Murphy play at the end of the game. So we kind of feel screwed all around. But, you know, like I said, it's two games ago um, and we have Furman to talk about now. So, yeah, uh, John, if you want to run us through just the summary of the game so we can fill in those who didn't watch and then we can pick it apart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. As far as, you know, the game goes, we wanted to we kind of wanted to do it a little bit different this week and give some, you know, summaries um, as opposed to last week. We kind of just jumped in. So we want to catch you guys up because I know when I watch a football game, you know, a day or two later, I'm like, I don't remember who scored, you know, first and who scored third and, you know, too much about what happens. Maybe you guys do, but we wanted to catch you up. So uh, Kennesaw State jumped on top 7-0 early in the second quarter with a 32 yard pass from uh, Murphy to Benyard. Uh, Furman answered right back in the second quarter to tie it up at seven. Uh, Furman scored with 237 left until halftime to make it 14-7. Furman scored towards the end of the third quarter to make it 21-7 with uh, 21 unanswered Furman points. Uh, the Owls then used 60, a 60-plus 60 yard play to Ben Yard, followed by a Preston Daniels touchdown to make it 21-14. Uh, Furman with 13.56 left to play in the game. Uh, Furman scored right back with 1240 to play after a big kickoff return and multiple owl penalties uh, did the heavy lifting. So that would make it 2814 um, with uh, 1240 left to play. The owls get the ball back after the score drive down the field with Murphy connecting again with Ben yard for a 13 yard touchdown with 934 to go. Paladin still up 2821. A 49-yard rush touchdown up the middle from Ben Yard gives him his third score of the game and ties it at 28 with 3.34 left to play. Uh, Furman then uses the final 3.30 or so to drive down the field, forces the Owls to burn all three timeouts, and they hit a game-winning pretty easy field goal, leaving KSU with about 19 seconds left. Not much we could do there, barring a miracle, and the Paladins won 31-28. So that's kind of how it went down. There you go. And... um... First game that none of us, you know, attended in person this year. Uh, going in, you know, obviously in our super show and last week when we were previewing previewing Furman, you know, we've predicted loss a loss the whole way through. Um, but before the game, I started to gain a little bit of that, like, you know, false optimism. I was drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I was like, you know, maybe, maybe we go in and pull it out, you know, have a season-defining win, feel really good. Um, how did you feel like an hour before kickoff and through that first quarter when we took the lead? Personally, I, you know, I felt pretty good. I, I thought, wow, you know, I thought Furman was really going to come out and, you know, trying to prove a point and, you know, try to jump ahead pretty quickly. But then I thought when it started to, you know, both teams punted back and forth, I kind of thought that was to our advantage a little bit. Um, but I, I felt, I felt really good actually after this game, um, you know, I wanted to win it. But you know, I can't fault the effort. I felt the team played hard, uh, especially the defense. They were just worn down, and we do have you know room to improve on. Um, and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I felt I felt pretty good. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I was encouraged going into the game. Um, you know, we hadn't played them since 2016, my senior year, and we got out to a quick lead against them back then. And then they came all the way back and cut it to I think a 10 point lead. I think we were up 49. 14 at halftime and they brought it all the way back to like 49 38 or something with a minute or so left and and so it was a 
Um, you know, they, they've always been explosive on offense. They've always had good players. They've always been well coached. Coach, Coach Hendricks does a really great job with that program. Um, they're a, a storied program in the SOCON and, you know, with their seventh, uh, number seven ranking in the nation, you know, that sometimes that can play with you a little bit as a player, you know, where are we, you know, where are we as an FCS independent? How do we stack up against these guys? So I was encouraged that we came out and kind of um, were able to contain them really well for the first part of the game, got out to an early lead. Everything looked really, really positive. And like I said, John, there were some things that we need to improve on defensively, um, where, you know, they kind of were able to sustain some drives, especially in the red zone. They were able to be really, really efficient. Um, but overall, I was I was super encouraged with the things that um, we saw as the game went on. Yeah. It was, uh, sorry. It was. was uh, go ahead, Kai. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, I was just going to say it was really reassuring as a fan, especially after Chattanooga. You know, we we expected Chattanooga to be a solid, um, you know, FCS opponent this year. But compared to Furman, they're – you know, probably a few rungs below in the conference. So just to know that we can still hang with these top FCS teams was uh, a a good thing to see. Yeah. Especially when I don't think we were playing, you know, our best football. Uh, I'm pretty sure. And according to what coach Hendrick said after the game, Furman wasn't playing their best football, but with that, with all that into consideration, I mean, you're still, you know, it's a home game, but you're still losing by three points to the number seven team. You know, that says something, whether it's, you know, the talent effort is there, whatever it may be, that's that speaks volumes to me. So, yeah, I think another thing that maybe some fans get a little bit confused is, yes, we are making the jump. But right now we are still an FCS independent school. So our um, our scholarships are still the same as them. You know, all of that increases next year. So it's it's still an even playing field. It's it's not necessarily a, an FBS playing an FCS at this moment. I'm pretty sure we have uh, our jump in scholarship started this year. Did it not Kai? Um, but uh, I, it, I believe so. Well, we can like offer more kids, but I don't know if we currently have that many kids on scholarship. Yeah. So. I think it's probably somewhere. I think we are allowed to have the full amount of scholarship this year. And I think that is why, you know, we're independent. And part of the reason they kicked us out is because we do have more kids on scholarship this year. And I don't think we're using them all. I still don't think we have the, you know, the full 85 or anything close to that, but I think we still have more than other teams. But again, that's counteracted, you know, that's kind of offset by the fact that we have our old system and a lot of the kids now are kind of defunct and, you know, kind of spare parts, so to speak, without for a better term. I am uh, intrigued to see what weight a win against Kennesaw State holds in the FCS rankings this year for a team like Chattanooga, for a team like Furman. Um, you know, are we going to be respected after we go six and three with three wins over non-D1 opponents? Or is it just going to be like a game that never happened, essentially a friendly? So I think they have to, you know, take us into consideration when for other teams rankings. I mean, we're still you know, we're still legitimate competition. We're not, you know, we're not like VUL or any Lynchburg or anything like that. So yeah, definitely they have to, the committee has to take that into consideration. Can we be ranked this year? I know we can't make the postseason, but could we like crack the coaches poll? I don't know. I would I mean, imagine we, we could. I mean, all of the social media stuff that you see, like the FCS NCAA Twitter, Twitter account still post Kennesaw State stuff. I mean, I, I don't see why we couldn't. Uh, as, the, as the Notre Dame of FCS <laughs> beat me to it yeah I don't know if that I don't know if coaches would take into consideration you know the extra scholarships or whatnot and you know vote 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 us lower because of that so I don't know but I'm sh- but that's a good question 
Right. So let's talk a little bit about what looked good while we're on a high note. Um, both lines, uh, offensive line only gave up one sack, uh, a vast improvement from last week when we gave up five. That being said, the one sack did really, you know, kick us in the ass uh, at the end of the half. And we'll get to that drive later. Um, and then the defensive line uh, had a season high three sacks and really gave Furman hell uh, running the ball at the gut uh, held Dominic Roberto to, you know, he had an okay game. I think he was at like 4.2 yards per carry had like 72 yards, but um, outside of quarterback contain, I think our run defense looked pretty good. Uh, Nick being the lineman on this call, talk to me about what you saw, what you liked, what you didn't like. Yeah, absolutely. I saw, I saw defensive linemen setting the tone early in the game. You know, we, we were able to get him off of a spot early. They weren't able to establish the run game and, you know, that's something that's so critical that offenses are always trying to set up early is to establish a ground game so that they can throw play action off of it. Um, you, you see it, you see us doing it now and we've done it for, for years uh, when we were an option team, you know, you set this, this thing, this stuff up, you run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball and you start getting those safeties to cheat up or you start getting that DC to start trying to think of a way to create a negative play and get a little more aggressive in their play call. And that's when you can take your shots and you can move the ball down the field. Um, and I thought that, that the D line and the, and the inside backers did a really nice job of, um, you know, kind of eliminating or, or containing their run game. And then when we did pin our ears back in pass rush, you know, he wasn't able to stand there, stand there all day and kind of just pick us apart. He, he was, he was moving, like you said, a, a season high three sacks. Uh, Carlos had a really good game. It was, it was encouraging to watch. I thought that uh, the big boys definitely had a, had a good day up there of, you know, some of their games that they were running. I saw some, some unique games that we hadn't really rushed um, the, the week prior. So getting some, some different guys moving to contain and other guys looping and penetrating inside. It was really, really fun to watch. Um, so I was, I was really encouraged by our D line play. And I want to shout out uh, Puda Walker. I thought he had a tremendous game as well. Um, and just point out that Joel Parker, I guess some kind of injury did not play. So, um, you know, I know he was one of the ones that was counting the four games this season. So hopefully it's nothing serious and, you know, nothing will be lost of it because he'll get those four games in regardless, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with Nick. I thought the defensive line really had a point to prove and they were very active from the, from the start. Um, also, you know, the linebackers played pretty well as, um, you know, Garland Benyard was extremely active throughout the game. Um, he was, he was a monster. Um, Hobson, Baron Hobson made a good play. Um, you know, I just thought those two levels were uh, pretty strong. Yeah. And uh, on the other side, on the offense, um, only one sack allowed and throughout the game, it just looked like Murphy had way more time and he was able to get off 31 pass attempts, which, uh, don't quote me, but I believe is a school record. Is it not? Uh, I'm going with that. That sounds good enough for me. It's gotta be. I mean, he broke the yards record and we'll get to that later, but, um, yeah, just encouraging on both sides. Um, that being said, the one sack they did give up, uh, came at a really frustrating moment, John. And I know you and I were both, uh, pretty upset about how that last drive went. Um, so to just to walk the listener, uh, excuse me, walk the listener through it. Uh, we get the ball back around midfield, have like a nice, I think like 10 yard punt return from Isaac Foster. Um, Carson Kent gets a catch, moves us into Furman territory. I think we got backed up by a penalty. And then Murphy just throws a dime to uh, Blake Bohan in the middle of the field. And all of a sudden, you know, we're in business. I think we're inside the 20 with like 20 seconds to go. We got a timeout in our pocket. We're feeling pretty good. And then we get sacked, lose about 12 yards. Um, and I think another penalty later and we're out of field goal range and the drive amounts to nothing so i know uh a lot was going through your head john walk me through uh what watching that drive was like for you 
Yeah. Um, was that was that the uh, second half drive or the or the end of the first? I'm half? talking the end of the first half. First drive. Okay. I was thinking for some reason I was, my mind went to the second half. Uh, but yeah, the end of the first half. I'm just glad that uh, unlike last week, we didn't take our timeouts with us into the half. Uh, good to see Bohannon being more aggressive overall. Um, yeah, the two penalties there on the on the redshirt freshman, you know, that that really screwed us along with taking the sack. Um, you know, it just little things like that just tend to add up penalties and, you know, not taking advantage of opportunities. And and the team, I think, is, you know, much closer than they ever were probably last year because of the limitations with the offense. Um, but, you know, this is something that's going to be a process and. I am very happy with where we are going into, I guess, three, uh, quote, easier games coming up at the FCS level. So, you know, I'm hoping we can take at least two, if not all three of, of those games, not to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but going back to your point on the offensive line, Ty, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention um, that uh, two starters were out, Terrell Paxton and Nathan Wright. And then I think it was, what, the fourth quarter or whatnot, we lost uh, James Dawson, who was starting at center, and Seaburn Hines, who was starting at right tackle. Um, they couldn't put any weight back-to-back plays. It was kind of ridiculous on uh, their left and right legs. So there's a chance, you know, we're without four, you know, offensive linemen next week. And, you know, hopefully the guys can come back soon because with the red shirt roulette, you know, we might end up being in a situation where we got to burn some guys red shirts um, just to give ourselves some kind of a chance to win and not get somebody killed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It was encouraging to see the offensive line, really take a step forward in their pass protection. Um, it was really unfortunate that we saw those two guys go down. We already had two starters out before the game started. And Barclay on the on the call made a great point that, like, NFL teams don't usually carry more than eight or so offensive linemen. And we were down, you know, four just like that. You know, so all of a sudden, I think it was Al Hogan had to move to center and and all this stuff. And and they didn't, really didn't miss a beat um, from from that point on. So that was that was quite the testament to Coach Klonakis and the O line um, of of being able to kind of have musical chairs up front and still have great protection. You know, there were no botched snaps. Um, that that was really encouraging to see that. You know, we kind of just kept on moving. To be honest, I think uh, center was Al Hogan's position at Wofford, if I'm not mistaken. So That's correct. It was a pretty yeah, natural but, move. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure he's gotten some reps at it. Um, but again, you you practice all week for, you know, uh, you know, I pull on this play and, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, down blocking here and all of a sudden everything's changed and there's, you know, different guys making different calls. You know, definitely, definitely a, a, a nice, nice thing to have as a, as a grad transfer that's played multiple positions on the line to be able to be that Swiss Army knife up front. Right. And yeah. you see a ton of that at the FCS level, too. Not that, you know, guys, at the FBS level aren't used to, you know, moving around the line in high school or whatever. But uh, you're going to get a lot more um, guys fighting for playing time, fighting to get noticed. So uh, you feel more comfortable uh, kind of mixing and matching the line, I would assume. And I'll tell you, I don't want to see what happens with one more injury to center. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Um, I remember when uh, CJ Collins, I think, had to move from tackle to center because of just how bad bet off we are due to some injuries. And I do remember a Falcons game probably 10, 15 years ago where we ran out of offensive linemen and Levine Toy Lolo, the tight end, had to move to offensive tackle. And that worked out miserably, if I remember correctly. I don't remember the details, but we don't want that. Uh, I will point out, though, that freshman Trey Butts, who is probably one of my favorite players because I love that name, um, he stepped in at right tackle 
did very well from what I saw and, you know, proud of that kid and um, interested. I'm very interested to see what the line is going to look like next week. Hopefully people are back, but if they're not, I'm still just as intrigued as to what we're going to do and who's backing up and who's, who's in uniform and whatnot. Those uh those late Mike Smith teams had some really really bad old lines. So thanks for uh, rejogging that memory. Hey, speaking of Mike Smith, um, I don't know if Nick knows this, but he was actually uh, at the ETSU game, uh, the 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 first game we ever played at the uh, high school. Yeah, I did, I, did know, I did know that. Unfortunately, it wasn't Kenny Chesney; it was just Mike Smith. <laughs> yes, just Mike Smith. Basic name, basic guy, basic coach. But he did some good things with the Falcons, so you know, can't hate on him. Yeah. John, you touched on Bohannon being a little bit more aggressive this time around, which was really, really good to see. Uh, he was actually willing to go for it a couple of times <laughs> on fourth down this game. Um, and it seemed like, and I'm not saying this is the case or not, but this was a game that we prioritized this year. You know, obviously there's no bigger picture to play for. So there are, you know, those goals and those one, those one-off games that you want to circle. And it seemed like we, threw in all of the chips we had um, for the 2023 owls, at least, you know, uh, we played all of our aces, uh, you know, it didn't hold out Ben yard, you know, throw it all at him. We wanted to win this game. So it was good to see. Yeah. We're going to go down swinging on this one. And I think after week one, after the Chattanooga game, I'm hoping that, you know, Bohannon just like had a change of mentality. Like, you know, Furman's a damn good team. We got to do everything we can to beat them, go forward on fourth downs, do this, take every advantage that we can get. And, um, you know, we went for it from our own 46 on fourth and one and what the first quarter or something like that. And, you know, last week I was begging them to go for it, but that was at about the 32 or 37 yard line of uh, Chattanooga, not our own 46 Uh, with the way things were going. I probably would have punted, but uh, if I remember correctly, the D got a big stop. So, you know, it ended up working out okay. But, you know, I, I just think there's a there's some kind of balance to, you know, we got to figure out that balance to going for it versus, you know, holding back and playing conservatively. For sure. I know that a lot of coaches use analytics for that side of things. Um, there's usually a, you know, a guy that has the book of, you know, what, what the analytics say of when to go, when to punt, when to go for two, stuff like that. So I'm sure there's there's some method to the madness, but it was really encouraging to see. Coach Bell was getting fired up on the sideline. I mean, I, I from for, I could I could tell on the TV cast that that he was getting after it out there. There was a late um, a late hit call on a on a defender on one of the Furman possessions. I can't remember what, what quarter it was, and and Coach Bell was letting the officials have it because it truly wasn't a late hit. Um, and and you could just you could just tell all week the 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 motto was cut it loose. He wanted the kids to go out there and cut it loose, and that's. When you're a player and you hear your coach saying things things like that, and then you see how he's responding in the game and being aggressive and saying, "We're going to cut it loose. We're going to come after you. We're going to go ahead and just, you know, we're going to get this fourth and one. We're going to punch it in. We're going to do. We're going to go for it when we have to. Um, we're going to trust our defense to get a stop here if we don't get this. I, that's always encouraging as a player to know that he has that kind of trust uh, in in the kids and that he wants to be aggressive and he wants to cut it, you know, cut it loose. And I think he did a a great job with that. And there's absolutely nothing to lose. You know, this is the year to cut it loose. If if you're playing, you know, conservatively and playing scared this year, I mean, you're going to play scared next year. So, you know, it's time that, you know, to nut up and see what we have on those fourth downs, see if we can get that yard, see if we can get those two yards, see how the defense reacts to being put in an adverse uh, situation. 
I'm I'm all for it. Um, but you know, again, you know, the the coach in me think was thinking like, okay, the 46 yard line of our own, the way the game's going. Again, I probably would have punted, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna criticize for the decision he made because I totally understand it and the message that he was trying to send. You know, after seeing Arthur Smith go for it on fourth and one, yeah, <laughs> when we had a chance to take the lead with two minutes to go, um, nothing seems ballsy anymore. So <laughs> I'm good riding with those decisions from last week. Oh, yeah. If uh, if Bajan Robinson got like arm tackled there and got tripped up or something, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> what the conversation was going to be like this week in the media? But right. again, who cares? Gonna, if you're playing with the Go ahead, Nick. There's going to be so many gifts of of Arthur Smith, his reaction as it was happening because he thought it was about to get blown up, and then when he saw Bijan make the cut, the relief on his face was just priceless. There's you're going to see that all week. Not to spend too much time on the Falcons, but man, there were a couple decisions that worked out for us today that I was just like, I don't know how you make that call. I mean, the flea flicker on third and three, one of the biggest plays of the game up to that point. I was like, what are we doing? But you know, it worked out. I'm not coaching, so I, think, I don't know I what I'm talking about. I think it translates a little bit into our game from Saturday, you know, the, the Kennesaw game that sometimes in games where, you know, there's not – not that everything, not that we ever felt out of the game, but where you're kind of missing that one play here or there, you know, why not lay all the chips on the table and, and go for it? And I think that – I think Bo did that quite a few times, and I think Arthur Smith showed it today. Like, hey, we were trailing by 12 points in the in the fourth quarter. We're going to be aggressive still. We're going to, you know, we're going to do what we have to to get there. And I, I think that Coach Bo probably was in the same mindset in some of those calls. Right? Yeah. And you have to, you can't, you know, you can't make your decisions based on, you know, oh man, what are people going to think of this? Or what's the media going to say about me after the game? If you do that, you know, you're, you're playing to lose. You're letting other people control your feelings and your thoughts and your actions. So, you know, I'm all for it. And like I said, you know, we, you know, we kind of crapped on Bo last week a little bit for the clock management, but I did not have any complaints, you know, in that department this week or anything similar. So. I do really wish that uh, we would embrace just the theme of the season being having nothing to lose um, could make for a lot of fun. We should never punt the ball. We should fake every field goal. Or just run it like it's Madden. I, I think you're onto something here. We should we should do that. The only scenario in which, you know, we shouldn't do that. And obviously they're not going to because, you know, integrity of the game or whatever um, is like if we're in a close one with Lincoln at halftime and it's like, OK, we got to save face, which speaking of which. Uh, Lincoln was up on division one Cal Poly after the first quarter this last week. So they might not roll over as easy as we expect them to. Mm. Is this, would it be all bad though, if we actually did that? Like, <laughs> can you think about how much national media attention free Kansas well, State would get just by being the school that refuses to punt because they're ineligible for the playoffs and they have nothing to play for? I think there Presbyterian a, did that, right? I was going to say there was a coach that did that. He was a high school coach, and Presbyterian hired Presbyterian hired him, and it didn't didn't work out so well. They won their first game like eighty four to ten or something, and their quarterback I think had ten touchdown passes, and then they didn't win a game the rest of the season. So, tells speaking you enough. of Presbyterian quarterbacks, yep. Oh Lord, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One thing uh, we need to address is containment. Uh, we talked about it last week when uh, Artipoeus burned us a couple of times on the ground um, and just converted some first downs uh, that should not have been converted. And we go into this week against one of the best quarterbacks in FCS, Tyler Huff, and he scores every single touchdown on the ground for him um, and goes for 98 yards rushing. 
uh, how how do we address this, y'all? <laughs> you know, is it a is it a speed issue? Is it a scheme issue? Like, what do we got to do? I'm not giving them amphetamine, so it's definitely not a speed issue. Uh, but so I'll I'll go to Nick on this one. Yeah, I think from a coaching perspective, um, when the quarterback is a runner, you have to add an extra hat to the box, and so especially in the red zone when they're running, you know, the kind of the Q power where the running back inserts in and is another blocker, you know, most defenses are designed to, to defend offenses where the quarterback is not a running threat. That's why dual threat quarterbacks have become such a commodity in the NFL and in college football these days is because all of a sudden they can stretch you down the field with the vertical passing game, but then they can also run zone read and RPOs and, and all kinds of schemes where you have to account for the quarterback taking off. And the only way to do that is to add another person to the box. And as soon as you do that, that's where you're, you're giving something up uh, in the back end. So I think, you know, a lot of his carries came kind of as they were getting into that, you know, that green zone and into the red zone where they were, you know, they'd crossed into our territory and they needed a third and two or a third and four. And they just kind of decided to put, put the ball in his hands and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to run it down your throat and there's nothing you can do about it. And um, we did get a nice stop on the last possession of the game on, I think it was third and two, you know, it looked like he got it and ended up being short. Um, But that's definitely something that I'm sure that we, we will need to work on moving forward is, you know, how can we, how can we contain a dual threat quarterback a little bit better because he, you know, he, he's not the typical, you know, Lamar Jackson and making all these, you know, ridiculous highlight plays, but he was very effective in deciding when to pull the ball down and take off. Um, so I, I don't think that it's a speed issue per se. I think that um, we missed a few tackles and, and maybe lost contain a couple times that in, in critical moments on, on a third and eight or um, in those type, those type scenarios where, you know, you, you just, it kind of leaves you, leaves you shaking your head, wishing, Oh, I wish we wouldn't have been in that call. Or I wish we would have had something where maybe we have a spy or what, whatever it is. Um, but again, there's, there's always going to be give and take. So, but they, they did a nice job of being when they were in the red zone, adding him into the offense as a runner. Um, that's, that's always hard to defend. That's gotta be so disappointing for a defensive back unit when you have perfect coverage on a play, you know, everybody locks down here. They're supposed to lock down. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got, quarterback just running up the gut <laughs> and all of a sudden you got to chase this guy down and just leave your assignment. So, yeah, as you alluded to um, just a second ago, John, uh, Tyler Huff will not leave college with a winning record against Kennesaw state. He did lose a game to them as the Presbyterian quarterback, his freshman year. So uh, keep his bragging rights in check. Another, another part that was interesting that uh, Barclay and Nolan talked about was he's a, like a second Lieutenant in the United States um, reserves, um, which I thought was really army reserves, which was really interesting that um, as a six year senior that he, he was already that accomplished. So appreciate him for that as well. Yeah. yeah a lot of respect. Good quarterback. Seems like a good dude. A lot of respect for that. I, I just kind of want to say, I wish he was in the Furman reserves uh, yesterday. So <laughs> no maybe question. we could find a pocket passer that we could have contained a little bit better, but um you know, like I, like you guys said, man. You know, let's get, let's get a little bit better. Let's figure out how to contain them and uh, go forward, being a little bit better. Yeah. So just to touch on special teams before we get into some of these individual performances. Um, Joshua Hewitt had another nice game. He had I think three punts that fell inside the twenty. He had another fifty plus yarder. Um, he's been as consistent as they come. Uh, love having him back there. Uh, Connor Cummins did not attempt a field goal, but he was perfect on PATs. So. I mean, did all was that was asked of them. Um, I wanted to make a note about our punt returning this season. Uh, just consistently getting that extra 10 yards, 
just each and every punt return has been huge and not something that should go unnoticed. So shout out to Isaac Foster and uh, Gabriel Benyard back there, as good as they are elsewhere. I, I think I think Hewitt was the MVP of the first quarter for sure um, for us. Uh, but no, I you know, that brings up a good point. Cummins, you know, we kind of talked about him in extensively last week and kind of disappointed in a way that he didn't get a chance to kick a field goal. Um, not just because, you know, I wanted to see it really badly, but because it would have tied the game. Um, but I do want to bring up, you know, after Furman broke out that long kickoff return towards the end of the game, it seems like the next one or two kickoffs, we kind of pooch, pooch kicked it out of bounds. Um, you know, I, I don't like that. Um, I couldn't really see on the angle. I don't know if the TV shot it well, or if I wasn't paying attention, I assume it was on purpose. Um, I don't like that. I like, you know, just like dare them, you know, like you guys do it again. Okay. Return it for 50 yards again. I don't like kind of throwing up that white flag. What did you guys notice about that? I was going to say, I totally agree with you. Um, I think laying over is a really lame approach and I think you got to make them beat you twice. So yeah, I wasn't a fan. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting that we made that decision to just kick it out of bounds. The first one looked like they were trying to just pooch it in kind of like a hole that they had in their return and the way that they were aligned. So, you know, I tossed that one up to who knows, but the second one was not even close. So I'm not sure if that was something that was discussed, if that was, Hey, we're just going to kick it out of bounds and take it at the 35, as opposed to kicking it to, you know, a guy that can, that can, uh, return it into our territory, but that was a, a gut punch when they returned that kickoff all the way to, I think it was like our 25 yard line. And it was a huge, well, it was to the third, it was to like the 40, but there was a late hit or a horse, it was a horse collar yep. and it tacked on 15 more. So that was, yeah, that was a huge moment in the game that gave Furman a ton of momentum. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely don't love the decision to kick it out of bounds. Um, so not, not sure what we, what our plan was there, if that was intentional or not, but didn't love how, how it looked. And then there was a penalty after that on that drive as well that tacked on even more for Furman. So we might as well have just kind of walked it up to the goal line for them, you know, at that point, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, You take it for granted when you watch a team um, who has a kicker who can put the ball out of the back of the end zone, <laughs> like you see in the NFL every kickoff in an indoor stadium. But I don't know. Maybe we try Hewitt out on a kickoff team and just see if he has a bigger leg, see what he can do. He's got a huge leg, and I know Kai loves talking about the kicking game, so I'm all for it. Yeah, and we got we got some other kickers on the roster too. I mean, I just wish we could find somebody like how like how difficult theoretically would it be to find somebody that has a huge leg but hasn't played football and has really no accuracy whatsoever that you can just kick it as far as you can. I mean, I guess it hurts that we don't have a men's soccer team, so uh, that's killing us right now, guys. Women's team looked rough today again. I think we're uh, okay. at. Three goals in nine games. Eight. Oh, games. we didn't score again. Uh, at halftime, we hadn't scored. I didn't cover the game, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a live check on that in a second. Well, but that that thought transcends even all the way down to the high school level. Our team, the one scoring drive we gave up on Friday night was a huge kickoff return that they returned all the way to our 20, 17 yard line. Other than that, every, he kicked it through the end zone the whole night, and they didn't score. So it just shows you how important special teams truly is, and having having a kicker as a weapon really is. Right. Yeah. And at, even at the high school level, the difference between kicker team to team is crazy. Like I was at uh, Walton and Pope uh, two Friday nights ago. Uh, Walton beat him by 60. But the Pope kicker, you know, kicked the ball five yards out the back of the end zone every time. You know, he looked like an All-American out there. And then the the Walton kicker, um, 
was, you know, hitting squibs inside the 20 every play. So it's it's kind of a luck thing. You just got to find one and uh, hope he doesn't have his confidence rattled early on. So I'm I'm smiling right now because I'm picturing the Pope doing kickoffs. <laughs> that That's all. OK, I'm lame. Um, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Kai. The difference in high school is, is just nuts. And even in college, you know, the first couple of years of our program's existence when we didn't have the depth and we had a lot of young players. I get it, you know, kick it out of bounds, do what you got to do, be tricky, but we have the bodies now, we have older players, let's, point being, go right at them. It's okay, I will attend open tryouts next June, I'll be kicker number four. Oh, please do, (laughs) I want to see how this goes. You know, that's, that was something I wanted to do my freshman year, just for the hell of it, not like I was going to make the team, but you know, just to say I tried, and then it's like, you know, if I make the roster, I get a jersey, I'll never play, but it it worked out for me, so why not? Do it. I want to see you get chewed out by Buchanan and Glanton and Bohannon. I want to see this. Let's make this happen. We'll keep the Al Chat podcast going. We just won't tell them about it. We'll see we'll how secret- long it lasts. We'll see. We'll secretly record Kai um, missing field goals on purpose at the tryout just to see how much he gets his ass chewed out. You got to reach out to Goss to uh, get a hold of me. <laughs> There'll be a middleman. There we go. But anyways, yeah, we had a few standout guys. Um, want to talk about Gabriel Benyard and his unreal game uh, yet again. Uh, had, what, 136 yards uh, receiving, scored two touchdowns, and then had a 66-yard day um, on the ground and had that, I think it was a 49-yard touchdown to tie up the game. Um, he continues to be phenomenal. Uh, Jonathan Murphy broke the passing record. Uh, yards record goes for 308 and two touchdowns throws an interception on that last play, which we'll touch on in a second. Uh, and then Deontre Morris had 16 tackles, which was a career high and just one shy of the all time Kennesaw state record, which was set two years ago, I believe. So, you know, standouts all across the board. Um, yeah. Our playmakers are making plays. That's great to see. Yeah. Those, those golfers can really tackle, man. I'm, I'm telling you, um, you know, coach, I think it's the golf coach is a coach Odom Man, he has those guys going strong. No, um, Evan Thompson, who has the career record, uh, 17 tackles in a game. Um, when he was out of football eligibility last year, he was on the men's golf team, which is why I'm bringing that up. And also like to add that uh, Murphy set a single game record in passing attempts and completions with 17. He was 17 for 31. Yeah, I mean, Gabriel Binyard had a, a monster day, and we talked about it last week. Get that guy the ball any way you can. And we you know, we threw it to him eight times. He had six catches, handed the ball to him uh, six times. He was averaging over 10 yards a carry. Um, so anytime you have a, a player like that that you can throw the ball to, hand it to, have him in the kick return game, he is an explosive weapon that is um, definitely something that opposing teams have to account for. Um, Need him. Yeah, Need him, in the ice bath, need him in the ice bath immediately after the game. Oh, no question. And I think that his explosiveness kind of bailed us out at times. Um, you know, we were two for 10 uh, on third down conversions. So it seemed that on scoring possessions, we just kind of exploded for, for monster plays and were able to move the ball down the field, never really got into trouble, never really got to where we were, you know, off schedule where, and then when we had to make critical third down uh, conversions, we just, we just couldn't two of 10 is, is definitely a, a concerning stat. Oh well, yeah. Benyard, that big run up the middle. I think he broke in a, broke a tackle initially at the line and then he just outran everybody. And that's, you know, that's what you want to see. And, you know, the dude's becoming a threat and it's making me wonder, you know, we got Gabriel Benyard 
Garland Benyard? Are there any more Benyard brothers, cousins, you know, second <laughs> cousins coming here? Like, what's the family tree look like? Um, if anybody so, has man. any information on that, let the Owl Chat podcast know because we could use a couple more Benyards. It's going to be really fun to see him play at the next level, too. Um, I don't use this term insultingly because, you know, it's not what I believe. But what is commonly referred to as the skill positions in football, you know, being quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. Uh, they say that the skill gap is way, way thinner from the FCS to the FBS level. So um, I'm really excited to see what he can do in Conference USA. And uh, I'm glad he's coming up with us. The real skill position is the podcast host, by the way. So. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, yes, he's, he's lots of late night reps. <laughs> he's Ben Yard, man. He has that explosiveness that I don't think anybody else really has. I mean, we have some players that have that potential. Um, you know, something that crossed my mind, you know, I'd like to see more of Tykeem Wallace after that play against uh, Tusculum. Um, and this is about to be a controversial take here. Um, you know, so I'll put on my, uh, my Skip and Shannon hat. Um, I, Isaac Foster, I don't think he's expo- as explosive as he once was when he was a younger player before all those injuries. Um, he's still a good player, you know, versatile player. You can line him up in different places, just like Benyard, but he doesn't have that burst. And, you know, I would kind of, you know, if anybody else is kind of close to him, I would try to get some more ex- explosive playmakers onto the field, keep Foster maybe for big third downs, um, you know, that kind of thing. He could find a spot, use his veteran savvy to, you know, make the make the right reads and get the yardage. But I'd love to see more of those, you know, explosive uh, playmakers like Tykeem Wallace get a shot. Well, I mean, look, at this point, what is Foster's role? He's not as involved as he was, you know, in the previous offense, but he's a seventh year senior. I mean, he's a he's a leadership guy and they have other guys who can, you know, be those big play guys on the offense now. So I'm OK with him being less explosive. I just I think it's good that he's around. I am too, but I'm just saying the more explosive guys you have on the field at the same time, the more that people have to account for. You can't just say, oh, Ben, you're our explosive guy. All right, everybody else can be kind of and not explosive. I would like to see, you know, I would like to see some of our younger players that might be more explosive get a chance. And I'm not saying don't play Foster or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, perhaps be more choosy. He'll still be able to be a veteran leader. Just, you know, I'd like to get the ball in some other people's hands as well, you know, cause the season again, doesn't really, you know, doesn't really count. Yeah. And I know coach Bo mentioned uh, kind of a kickoff press conference this year that Isaac has expressed, you know, to coach Bo that uh, he wants to play, you know, wants to try and play in the NFL. He wants to try and do that. And that slot receiver is kind of going to be his ticket if he wants to do it. So I know he's trying to learn a new position. You know, you play for six years as a slot in the triple option system where you're, running downfield and cut blocking and getting in pitch phase and really carrying the ball from the backfield. Now all of a sudden you've got to find ways to create space and your route running and, you know, set, set, no understanding when to set down and getting Murph on the same page. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and so I, I totally see the, you know, the, the, the process that he's going through to try and get there. But I, yeah, I agree with you, John. I mean, the more explosions, the more explosive players we can get on the field, the better. Uh, I think it's just going to take some time with Isaac just because it's such a different position for him. Whereas the other guys, you know, they haven't been molded in a, in a, in a true slot way that, you know, they, they're truly, you know, athletes that we've recruited that we can mold into the the new offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go ahead, Kai, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, well, I'll move on after, but if you had something to add about Isaac, go ahead. Yeah, just like I was saying, you know, Isaac is a smart guy, team leader. You know, if we need a, you know, third and four, just find the hole in the zone, just sit down and 
be relied upon to make that clutch catch. Isaac Foster all freaking day, you know, but if we're, you know, if, if we're struggling and we're trying to get a big playoff and, you know, we see it happening with Benyard, you know, why not find somebody that can run, you know, a four, four and, you know, really cut one of those loose. Right. And, you know, selfless football, you know, obviously we wish Isaac the best and I hope he gets his shot in the league. You know, who knows what that's going to look like. Hopefully he gets a camp invite or something, impresses scouts and sticks on a, practice squad or something it's crazier things have happened um that being said you know you want selfless football and you want it to be you know whoever's there makes the play so you know whoever makes the play if it helps us win that's that's who i'm rocking with um i did want to say my frustration with the offensive involvement has been the lack of preston daniels because it seems like every time he gets the ball this year something good happens he had one touchdown or one touch yesterday and you know he scored from one yard out um, the Tusculum game, he had one like really nice reception up the middle. I think he had some nice plays against Chet, uh, nice carries against Chattanooga. So uh, with his build and, you know, his seemingly nice hands, uh, I want to see him get more involved down the down the stretch. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I think we're both on this are all on the same page. Just like when you have a dual threat quarterback, you have a, a big body that can run. So you have a guy that's in the box that can block, but can also be a vertical threat, or you can hand them the ball. I think you're seeing Georgia do a lot of that with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington guys that they've had in the past where you know you have to account for him in, in their run fits defensively, but then all of a sudden that guy's you know running four or five down the middle of the field and he's you know sick however big he is, 240 pounds. That's something you have to account for. I think I totally agree. Finding more ways to get him involved in a lot of different ways is, is definitely going to help us achieve some success. Yeah. And even if Coach Klanakis has to, you know, put some specific stuff in there to get him the ball, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, just give it to him, have him run some people over, put it in their minds, man. He'll lay the hurting on you, just like a Bronson Recksteiner. Absolutely. Unless y'all got anything else to add about Furman, I think we can uh, look ahead to next week a little bit. No, I, I don't have anything to add. You know, just I'm, as I was saying before, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited for next week and the next three games that are more, you know, less com- lesser competition. Hopefully, winnable, <laughs> more winnable. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. So I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm much happier now than I was after the Chattanooga game. Both games we could have won. Um, we just need to clean some stuff up. Will we clean some stuff up? I'd even if we beat you know tennessee tech pretty handily even if that happens i would still like to keep you know i'm going to keep track of the penalties and that kind of thing as well just i want to see a cleaner game and i just also want to keep track of you know the offensive line and what's going on there and how we're going to play that moving forward right not to uh crap on a place that i've never been to but you and i have a far less exciting trip (laughs) on saturday up in cookville tennessee um yeah that being said i know Tennessee Tech's head coach, Dwayne Alexander, uh, has had a rough couple of years and he might be on the way out. Um, They haven't scored more than 10 points yet this year. So there is no reason we shouldn't beat them handily at their place. Thanks for the jinx, Kai. This year, there is no jinx. Everything's a given. So uh, me and Kai, uh, we're going to be going up to uh, that game, I believe, or we're planning to, seeing what happens. But uh, I don't even know where Cookville is. Is that Eastern Tennessee, kind of like an ETSU? Is that Central Tennessee, kind of by Nashville? I think it's Central. It's only three hours from Kennesaw, so I can't imagine it's that far north. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing the beautiful, you know, sights that Cookville has to offer. Hey, maybe it's a hidden gem. You know, we'll we'll have to find out. 
I imagine there's a, I don't know, a couple gas stations, a Mexican restaurant that has the little, you know, candies in the front that you put in a quarter and you get back and you take them in your hand and like, oh God, this is gross. Who touched these? And so, you know, I'm very excited. It's it's right between Nashville and Knoxville. So right in the middle of nowhere. So it should be a great trip for y'all. Oh, thanks for the spoiling it, Nick. I was looking for out for the surprise. I was just going to let the GPS take us somewhere and then we can complain about how crappy it is. So. Hey, I'm all for middle of nowhere. I love obscure America, so I'm excited. Let's let Nick settle this. Do we, you think we go uh, ride back on the same day we go there or we get a B- Airbnb or a hotel room? What do you think? What time's the game? Is it a noon or a one? Uh, it's 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, I think. Mm-hmm. I thought it was 6, but I don't know. They mess up with the time zones. It's mm-hmm. 7 or 6. Yeah, 7, 6. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Get home at one a.m. or maybe maybe you just cruise on over to Nash Vegas and and have a an evening on Broadway and uh, have a late morning getting home. Doesn't sound too bad. Record no. the podcast right after. Yeah, we, maybe we <laughs> maybe we could record the podcast together for the first time. There you go. I mean, we're making we're making plans here in real time. But look, man, I'm a I'm a broke college student. You got a full time job, so if you're paying for the hotel, I'm down. <laughs> I'm, I'm considering it. I'm considering it. I have a friend who has some connections, so maybe get a cheaper room or evaluate an Airbnb. Or if anybody's listening to us that happens to live in Cookville and has an extra couch or even a van. That hey man, uh, it's don't, if we go Airbnb, don't put me in charge of booking it because I will book a van. Oh, God. Yeah. See, I, I was only kidding, guys. But yeah, if, if you live in Nashville or somewhere along the way and you're listening to this and you have an extra couch, we'll spot you a few bucks just to give us a holler. Hey, we got a place to stay in Belgium. So uh, whoever you are, I know you're listening. Reach out to me on Twitter because I know we got a very loyal uh, Belgian listener out there. And I love waffles. Actually had two this morning, by the way. Chad has gone international. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, y'all. Well, I think that's all we got to talk about today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take us out. Uh, we will be back for the midweek update. A day later this time, we are going to record on Wednesday and post on Thursday just to not crowd our schedule a little bit. But we uh, thank you guys as always for tuning in, uh, and we will talk to you all soon. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, And as always, go Owls!